can go ahead and uh, return to your seat and have a seat. We have the uh, privilege today of uh, sending or commissioning uh, a team of people from Daybreak uh, who are headed to the country of Laos uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, one of the cool things that, that uh, the privileges that we get uh, as, as part of this church family is we have uh, partnerships with various uh, people all over the world. Uh, we believe that part of what God invites us to do is to not only join him and be a blessing uh, in his name and in our local communities and around where we live, but then also we get the opportunity to join with, with what he's doing on, in other places uh, in our world. And uh, this team uh, is going to Laos in a couple of weeks. If you'll remember, earlier this summer we had a team that went to Ecuador, uh, we had another team that went to Colombia, and then later uh, at the end of, uh, I think it's uh, this fall sometime, uh, we're going to have a team that goes down to uh, the Gulf Coast here in, in the U.S. Uh, and this team's headed to Laos, and one of the biggest things that they're going to be doing uh, is they're going to be uh, teaching English. They're going to teach English along with serving in some other ways. Uh, it's a, it's a, a really big need there. And what we do is we, we actually, a few uh, years ago, uh, probably three or four different times, we went to Cambodia and worked with an organization to, to uh, a couple local churches to teach. And, those, and, and through them, they, they, they wanted us to launch this first-time opportunity in Laos. So we're going to be going. They're going to be teaching some English, serving in a, in a variety of ways, working with the local church there. And what it does is not only does it meet a need and is a blessing to the community because because learning English is something that there's just a high demand for, a high desire for. But then also these guys, as well as the church that they're partnering with, are going to have opportunities to share their story, to share about the things that God is doing in their lives, the things that, that uh, Jesus has done and the ways that he's transforming in them. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a minute, uh, we're going to pray uh, together uh, as a church family and say uh, that we are sending you guys out as representations uh, of both Jesus but, uh, but as, as well as Daybreak, that we're sending these guys out to be a blessing. And, and, and we believe that, that God is not only going to transform uh, and change other people through uh, these guys, but that God's going to change them through the people that they come in contact with. And so I'd like to ask you to just take a minute and join me uh, as we pray, as we send this, this team out. Father God, it's, it's such a privilege uh, to be able to uh, join you in what you're doing around the world. And today, specifically, we pray for this team that's headed to Laos, uh, the four that are here on the stage, as well as the three that are at our other campus today. Uh, we ask that you, would, um, that you would begin to prepare their hearts, that you would begin to uh, prepare them to be stretched out of their comfort zone in new ways. Uh, we pray that you would give them servant's heart, that they would, uh, maybe in greater ways than they've ever experienced before, that they would lay down their lives uh, to show love to the people that they come in contact with. Uh, we pray for uh, the details of the trip to come together. We ask that you would allow all the, the flight stuff to work well. We pray that you would protect them from, from any kind of sickness or illness that, that might come uh, upon them. Uh, and God, we also pray for those that they are leaving, family members that they're leaving here at home. Uh, we pray for those family members too as, as sending them off is probably an, uh, a stretch outside their comfort zone as well. Uh, we ask that you would bless them. So God, would you go with them? Uh, would you allow them to be able to hear your voice in new ways and follow you mo more closely uh, maybe than they ever have before? We thank you for this opportunity and we commission them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Can you give them a hand as they head back to their seats? So you know that sermon series we're doing in church? You mean the fantastic series on Peter that has everyone talking? That's right. Well, this week's a pretty big week. Why? 
Well, they're going from 1 Peter to 2 Peter. There's a 2 Peter? Well, yeah. There's another Peter? Yeah. Who wrote 1 Peter? Peter. Who wrote 2 Peter? Peter. Then why not just call it Peter and make it one book? Or better yet, why not just call it The Peters? How about Peter 2? This weekend, coming to a theater near you, it's The Revenge of Peter. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to the Bible study, it's the repeater. He keeps on coming. In glorious technicolor and surround sound, it's Peter 3. Wait, was there a third Peter? I don't know. I feel like I would have heard about a trilogy in the Bible. There is the Trinity. But that doesn't count. No, I could really go for a Peter 3. Yeah, this is a really long sermon already. Yeah, you're right. Second Peter it is. All the same great Peter action, but this time, more. Can we give those guys a hand for putting that together? Thank you, gentlemen. So, there's this term that I've, uh, that I've just recently become familiar with. It's happened over the past, I want to say within the last six months was the first time that I, that I heard this term. I've heard it on a number of different occasions. Um, I've heard people uh, use it referring to themselves uh, and sometimes using it to refer to somebody else. And I'm wondering how many of you are familiar with this term as well. And it's the term hot mess. Anybody familiar with this term, hot mess? Okay, it does seem to be something that women tend to use more maybe than guys, uh, but uh, it's a relatively new phrase to me, to be honest with you, uh, but if I understand it correctly, uh, it's, it, if someone is a hot mess, all right, if they're being described that way or if, or if you're describing yourself that way, that they're at a place in their life where things are just in disarray, right? Like there's just, things are chaotic, uh, things are just all, emotions are all over the place. Uh, they're in a constant state of hurriedness and panic. Uh, they're kind of, they, they, they remind you of like a bobblehead doll, right? Like wherever they go, they're kind of in that state. Uh, there's no stillness. There's no peace. They're a hot mess, right? That's, that's kind of how I, I have understood it to mean. And even though this term is new to me, I, I, can, I can understand the concept, Right? And I know, that, I know that I've been there. Like I've been in those circumstances. I've, I've felt those things. I've made quite a few trips uh, down, down that road. And what I've discovered uh, and what we're going to talk about today is that hot, the hot mess part of me uh, tends to come primarily from my, my interior. It, it comes largely uh, from, the, from uh, the fact that I'm unsettled on the inside. And, and while there are things that affect me from the exterior... Uh, there are circumstances I'm facing, relationships that I have, events that are, that are going on in my life. While those things definitely contribute to that factor, there's no doubt about it, I've learned that more often or not when I remove or I change some of those things, it really doesn't solve that, in, that interior problem. Because so often, the disarray, the hot mess, doesn't actually stem so much from somewhere or someone uh, out there. It comes from, from, from my interior, from within my heart, from within my soul. And so I want to ask you this morning this question that we're going to address, and that is, have you ever been there? Maybe you're there today. Right? Maybe you would describe yourself as a hot mess this morning. Have you ever noticed that or come to a place in your life where you've seen yourself in that environment? Have you ever stopped at the end of the day 
When everything's, when everything's done and quiet and when you're alone with your thoughts, and have you ever from the depths of your soul, the core of who, who you are, have you said to yourself, there's, there's got to be something more than this. Surely this is not what life is supposed to be like. Surely I wasn't created to be a bobblehead hot mess of a person all the time. There has to be something more. This can't be who I was intended to be. Well, in the first letter that Peter wrote, which we've talked about over the last several weeks this summer, Peter talked primarily about the struggles that come externally, about things that come from the outside, like um, pressure from people, persecution, uh, mistreatment from others, suffering that, has, that, that is of ne- no fault of your own. And so it was something that his listeners, as well as us, are pretty familiar with. Like, we know what, it, what that experience is like. We certainly can't ignore the fact that things from the from the exterior, external things impact us all the time. There's no doubt about it. But Peter also knew firsthand through his own life that while struggles and difficulties certainly do come from the outside, from somewhere out there, some of the biggest struggles we face, some of the darkest uh, places we encounter come from within us. And those things can be some of the most intimidating, the scariest, the most discouraging, and the most difficult things for us to face. And when we, get in that, when we get in that place, when we start to, to recognize that and we see some of those things, we see it play out in our lives in some really practical ways. Where in our quietest moments, when we have a moment of quiet and we start to ask some of those soul-searching questions, we start to ask our things, uh, ourselves things like this. Why did I just treat my spouse like that? Why did I, why did I do that? Why, why do I feel so angry all the time? Why do I find it so hard not to buy something? Why do I always need more stuff to feel satisfied? Or why do I constantly wish that I was someplace else or or someone else or with someone else? Why do I always feel the need to prove myself to other people? Why do I keep returning to that same bad attitude or bad habit over and over again? What is it in my core, in the depths of me, that causes me to act this way? And it's these things, these questions, that try as we may to point fingers and blame other people, which we can certainly try to do, when the dust settles and when things uh, calm down, when our heads stop bobbling, we come to the sober realization that at, at our core, each and every one of us is flawed. Each and every one of us is in need of transformation. We need to grow. We need healing. And the good news is this, and this is what Peter talks about today. The good news is this, is that that is exactly what Jesus is about. That is exactly what Jesus is about. That is why Jesus came. Not only so that we can be forgiven and so that we can be restored in our relationship with God, but so that we can be reshaped by him and he can begin to recraft us into, the, into who we were originally intended to be. Men and women who were created in his image and then we bear that image and reflect it back to him and to the rest, and to the rest of creation, to one another. So Jesus brings that about. He brings healing and transformation. He takes the hot mess that we are and he comes face to face with us and he says, I love you and I've got better for you. I know how you were originally created to be. I know how you've lost your way, and I want to walk with you. I want to grow your character. And Peter knew this well because he experienced it firsthand himself. 
And now, as his life is drawing to a close, he says, I, Jesus has already let me know, like, I don't have a lot longer left on this earth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be gone soon. He writes this letter and says to his listeners, I want you to experience this. I want you to experience character transformation. I want you to grow in your character, to become people who learn to walk with Jesus as he leads you through these various internal struggles that you're dealing with. So what I'd like to do is invite you, if you haven't yet done so, pull out your outline. I think it'll really help you uh, to follow along today. If you turn it uh, to the inside there, your first blank is this. We grow in character when we, number one, realize that we have everything we need. We realize that we have everything we need. Peter starts off this, this letter uh, with uh, introducing himself, and then he gives kind of like a typical greeting. And then uh, we're going to pick this up in verse 3, uh, which is in your outline there. It will also be on the screen. He says this. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need. Can you underline that? Everything we need. For what? For a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So Peter says here, he says, he says, thanks to God's divine power, we already have what we need for a godly life. We already have what we need to participate in the divine nature. And this is really, really good news, but it's also so difficult for us to accept because we're so used to the solution being out there somewhere. We're so, we're so used to, 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 the, to, to whatever that fix is going to be is, is coming from somewhere externally. When we feel like we need something, we're used to going out and searching for something to meet that need. And if we don't feel like we're necessarily in need of something, before long we're going to run into a commercial or an advertisement of some kind that's going to remind us, Right? that we are in need of something, that we're incomplete, that we're missing out, and that they have what it is that we need, right? That's just, that's just good, business, good business, right? That's what marketing is. My wife and I uh, like to joke about a lot when, when, when commercials come on and how every, nearly every product or every infomercial, no matter what it is, when they're, when they're, when they're trying to sell, sell you whatever it is, they say uh, that, that their product is going to do this one thing and almost every product says that they're going to do this, and it's what? This product is going to... Anybody? Change your life, right? This product, this thing is going to change your life. You're going to have a head of thick, full, sexy hair, right, with this product. It is going to revolutionize your life. It's going to change your life. I actually did an online search uh, with using the phrase, will change your life. Uh, and in less than a second, I was told there were about 113 million results to my search. And on the first four pages, here's a couple of things that I found will change our lives. There's, here's six questions that will change your life. Seven little habits that will change your life. Five books that will change your life. Five mobile habits that will change your life. 21 cooking tips that will change your life. 15 TED Talks that will change your life. Watching this video will change your life. Ten summer trips that are going to change your life. Seven motivational speakers will change your life. 
10 smoothies and juices that will change your life. And then my favorite one, five Scarface quotes that will change your life. Seriously, top four pages right there. And, and so we're, we're used to this, right? We hear this type of thing all the time. Almost every advertisement or commercial says it. And although we laugh about it, although we, we, can, we can joke about it, most of the time, we kind of buy into it. Like we kind of believe a little, well, maybe, may, maybe this time it will. Our default pattern tends to be when we feel incomplete, when we feel discontented, when we feel dissatisfied or empty or like something is missing, our inclination is to start searching out there for that thing, that experience, that product, that person, or that situation. But what Peter reminds us uh, and reminds his listeners is that when it comes to our character, when it comes, when we, when we feel dissatisfied with who we are on the inside, when we notice something missing in the depths of our soul, he says, God has already given you what you need. He has already given us what we need. It's not something that we have to go searching for. It's something that we already possess. It comes to us, he says, through the getting to know Jesus. And as we get to know Jesus, we begin to live a godly life, a life that looks more like what it was originally intended to look like, reflecting the image of our creator, God. So let me ask you this question. I feel like it's a little bit of a no-brainer. I realize that. Don't you think we could use a little bit, just a little bit more godliness in our lives? Like just a... Just a, just a little bit more. Wouldn't it be beneficial if, if we saw in ourselves and if we saw in one another just a little bit more Jesus and a little bit less us, right? Can everybody pretty much agree? Like that would be, that would be a good thing. Wouldn't, wouldn't we all benefit from a little bit more godliness? Our world would benefit, our communities, our families, our marriages, our church, ourselves. We all could use more godliness, We would benefit so much from reflecting Jesus, even just a tiny bit more to each other. But one of the things that I've discovered is that you know what the world doesn't need any more of? I can can promise you this. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. One thing that the world doesn't need any more of, Johnliness. Okay? I'm dead serious. I know a lot of you don't know me, but I can promise you the world does not need more Johnliness. It just, it just doesn't. And, if I'm on, and just to be honest with you, I know, I, no offense, but it doesn't need more youliness either. Okay? We just don't, our world doesn't need more mealiness, johnliness, or youliness. Okay? You can tweet that later if you want. <laughs> but when we constantly go out there somewhere to fill the void that we're experiencing at the soul level, when we constantly look to other places or people or things to satisfy this hunger that we have in our soul, that's what we end up with. We end up with something other than what God intended. We end up with something other than godliness. Peter reminds us that God has already given us what we need for godliness through what? Through our knowledge of Jesus. And that word knowledge there doesn't mean just to know about Jesus. That word means a firsthand relational experience with him. Peter is saying that as we spend time with Jesus, what happens is he starts to rub off on us. And we end up being transformed bit by bit. We end up with more godliness. So um, it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to, to speak here on this campus. Normally I'm over, if you don't know, we have two campuses. The Good Hope Road campus is over uh, in Enola. And uh, normally that's where I uh, worship and, 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 uh, and there on Sunday mornings. I realized since the last time I, I had the opportunity to preach here, 
uh, our family has changed drastically. We've actually added two members to our family uh, in the last, it's been about two years now. And so I wanted to, to one, one uh, family member we added through adoption, another one we added biologically, and I have a, we have a picture here I wanted to show you. This is the Hendrickson, uh, the Hendrickson family. Oh, you don't need to clap. I mean, I like them, but um, <laughs> thank you, though. Uh, appreciate it. Um, but uh, we have, uh, I'm on the far right. <laughs> that's, that's me. Uh, that's my wife, Mel, um, who's not here this morning, and uh, please don't tweet this picture out either. Uh, she'd probably not be too thrilled with me for this. Um, and Jacoby is in the bottom left. And Jacoby is, uh, he'll be two years old in September. He is just nonstop energy. He is a blast, just an absolute blast. That smile on his face says it all. That's pretty much what he's like. Uh, and then Capri was born about a month ago. Uh, so we, we've, we've kind of been going through some, some family changes here uh, recently. And one of the things with Capri is uh, we were like holding, holding our breath because we realized, we were wondering if she was going to be Chinese. We were like wondering, is this girl going to be Chinese? Um, because I don't know if you know this, but one out of every four children in the world is Chinese. And so we were like, oh, one in four shot. Like what's going to happen here? So she's not, uh, she's not, uh, but that, yeah. So anyhow, but one of the things, I love to spend time with my son, and one of the things that we love to do together uh, is go for walks. He loves to go for a walk. And he's at the stage now where he can, he can motor around, he can walk on his own. But if we're going to go outside and go for a walk together, I still, we still put him in the stroller and he rides along and I walk, but we, we walk uh, together. And when we go for a walk together, it's an experience. He is, he's the type of uh, kid who everything gets processed externally. And so um, he's, uh, he can't see me necessarily, so every 10 seconds or so, hi, Papa, hi, Papa, hi, Papa, hi, Jacoby, hi, bud. And he'll point out, he'll look at, at different things, he'll notice things, anything that he knows what it is, he has to say it. If he doesn't know, he has to ask me what it is, right? So some of you who have kids, have gone through that stage, you probably know what it is uh, that I'm talking about. But he loves to talk to people, he loves to see animals, he, right? Lately it's been tractors and trucks and lawnmowers and this kind of thing that he points out. So anyhow, so the other day we were walking uh, along and in our neighborhood there's a lot of people that are out walking their dogs and he loves dogs. He loves to see just about any type of animal, but especially doggies. He really has a lot of interest in them. And, and we were walking and, and here came this lady with her dog and we, we stopped for a minute and Jacoby said hi and how you doing, that kind of doggy, doggy, and, and just laughed and all that kind of thing. And I looked at this lady and I said, everything with him is just new and exciting, right? Everything is new and exciting. And she looked at me with a big smile on her face and, and she says, yeah. And it helps you learn to see things that way too, doesn't it? Right? It helps you learn to see things like he does too, doesn't it? And I thought to myself, yes, that's exactly right. That is so true. Walking with Jacoby is totally different than going for a walk on my own through the neighborhood. It provides a completely different perspective. And you know what? The same is true when it comes to walking with Jesus. When you and I do life with Jesus, when we walk with him, when we take time to read scripture on a fairly regular basis, when we take time to pray, tell him about the things that are going on in our lives and, and ask him to speak some things to us, listen to his, his voice. When we set aside time to worship him, both at church when we come together like this, as well as during the week when we're alone and, and we wor- spend time worshiping him in, in a thousand different ways. When we live our lives getting to know Jesus, when we are intentional about, are about walking with him, like my neighbor said, it, 
it helps us to learn to see things the way that he does. He starts to rub off on us and we start to reflect him more clearly. So how do we grow in godliness? How do we grow in godliness? By doing life with Jesus. By doing life with Jesus. By walking with him. It's that simple and it's that challenging. It's that difficult. There are no shortcuts. There are no alternate routes. There are no quick fixes. There are no magic pills and you don't have to go someplace else or to someone else to get it. If you've made the decision to ask Jesus to be our forgiver and our leader, his divine power, Peter says, has already given everything you need for godliness. And as we hear from him, as we walk with him, as we allow him to talk to us about those deep interior areas of our lives, those soul-searching questions, those things that contribute uh, to the hot mess that we experience, we discover in those moments that Jesus is far less interested in shaming us for who we are and what we've done and far more interested in embracing us and leading us to become who he intended us to be. Do you hear that? When we walk with Jesus, he is not interested. He is far less interested in shaming us for the things that we've done and who we are and far more interested in leading us and embracing us to become who he originally intended for us to be. He wants to transform our character. He wants to transform who we are. We all know that our world could use more godliness. We all know that we could use a little bit more of a reflection of Jesus to ourselves and to one another. And it starts when we accept Jesus' invitation to do life with him, to walk with him, to realize that what we need is not somewhere out there, but that his divine power has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. We grow in character when we realize that we have everything we need. The second point there in your outline is this, is that we grow in character when, number two, we put forth effort in our own development. When we put forth effort in our own development. So as we, as we walk with Jesus, right, as we, as we walk with him, how, how does this character transformation take shape? What, is, what does it look like? How does it happen? If we already have what we need for a godly life, if we get to participate in the divine nature like Peter says, then what's our role and how do we know when we're getting there? That's what Peter addresses in the next few verses, which are there in your outline beginning in verse 5. He says this, For this very reason, make every effort. You underline that? Make every effort. To add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever doesn't have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Peter says that we have an important role to play in this whole character development thing. That while God initiates the process and that while God certainly leads the process, we actually participate. We have choices to make that require us to put forth effort in the process. When we feel stuck, when you get to that point in your life where you just, you feel stuck in your, in your character, you feel like you're frustrated or you, you're just not going anywhere, the temptation then to, is to jump to one of these two extremes, and I've done both of these, 
okay? I've experienced with both of these. When we, when we feel stuck or frustrated with our character, a lot of times we'll either embrace some sort of like a fate or deterministic mindset uh, where we can't really do anything to help our development. Uh, life just happens to us. It's all up to God. If it's supposed to happen, it's gonna happen. Basically what we do is we kind of remove our own effort from, this, from the circumstances entirely, right? Like that's, that's one end of the spectrum. It's just, just we, we get rid of, our effort doesn't really play any role. It's not, it's not a part of things. Or we embrace the whole other end of the spectrum where we kind of start to embrace like a self-savior mindset where it's all up to us. It's all about um, our effort. It's all about our work ethic. We have total control and we just kind of hope that Jesus will, will jump in somewhere, get involved and throw some icing on top of the cake. But what we're invited to uh, when we walk with Jesus is a, a bit more mysterious. There's a, there's a tension that we have to manage between those two extremes. It's a relational development process where we put forth effort even though we're relying on him to bring about transformation. And that's where God's grace comes in. There's a really cool image. Uh, when you look at these verses and you see that, that little couple words where it says add to, Another, other versions it might, it says something like supplement, that kind of thing, where it says add to, what's the first one? Uh, add to your faith goodness, right? And then it says, and to your goodness this, that's, that kind of thing goes all the way through. So there's this add to idea that kind of permeates that whole, that whole sentence. Well, um, the phrase that is used there comes from a Greek term, which I can't pronounce, so I won't try. But what that means is it paints this word picture that means this. It means to richly supply everything needed for an ancient chorus to uh, be a grand production. For this, for this ancient chorus to be this grand production. And um, there's an author that, uh, named N.T. Wright, who's a, a theologian. He talks a little bit about this concept and how it relates to God's grace, how God's grace is a part of this whole, this whole thing, how um, God leads, but we, we have to put forth effort in order to see, see his grace work fully the way it's supposed to. Uh, and in his book, After You Believe, he talks about this idea and uses this image a little bit of chorus. I just want to read you a, a, a few... Um, pieces of this. I know a choir director who took on the running of a church choir, which hadn't had, help, had much help for years. They had tried to sing hymns, to lead the congregation during services, and even provide music on special occasions. But frankly, the results were not impressive. When the congregation thanked the singers, it was as much out of sympathy for their apparent hard work as out of any appreciation of the genuinely musical sound. However long they practiced, They didn't seem to get any better. They were probably just reinforcing their existing bad habits. So when the new choir director arrived and began to work with them, gently finding out what they could and couldn't do, it was, in a sense, an act of grace. He didn't tell them they were garbage or shout at them to sing in tune. That wouldn't have done any good. It would have just been depressing. Instead, he accepted them as they were and began to work with them. But the point of doing so was not so that they could simply carry on like they did before, only now with somebody waving their arms in front of them. The point of his working with them, just as they were, was so that they could really learn to sing. And now, remarkably, they can. A friend of mine who went to that church just a few weeks ago told me that the choir had been transformed. It was the same people, but there was a whole new sound. Now, when they practiced, they knew what they were doing, and so they could learn how to sound better. That is a picture of how God's grace works. God loves us as we are, as he finds us, which is more or less messy, muddy, and singing out of tune. Even when we've tried to be good, we have only often made matters worse, adding pride to our other failures. 
The never-ending wonder at the heart of genuine Christian living is that God has come to meet us right there in our confusion of pride and fear, of mess and muddle, and, and even in the midst of downright rebellion and sin. That's the point of the Christian gospel, the good news. This is how much God loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, so that anyone who believes in him will not die, but will have life, eternal life, the life of the age to come. God's love comes to us where we are in the person of Jesus Christ, and all we have to do is accept it. But when we accept it, when we welcome the new choir director into our ragged and out-of-tune singing, we find a new desire to read the music better, to understand what it's all about, to sense the harmonies, to feel the shape of the melody, to get the breathing and voice production right, and, bit by bit, to sing in tune. When we live our lives with Jesus, that's what growing in character looks like. That's what God's grace at work looks like. First, God shows us his grace in the person of Jesus, but refuses to leave us as we are. Then, as we all walk with him, as we follow his direction and his guidance, we put forth effort. And when you and I do our part, when we make every effort to walk with Jesus and add these things to our lives, we end up participating in the divine nature. We end up tasting and experiencing godliness. We end up becoming the people that God created us to be. Or, as N.T. Wright just said, we end up learning to sing in tune together. When we live our lives with Jesus, when, he, when we walk with him and he's rubbing off on us, when we're making an effort to grow in character, Jesus consistently reveals to us the greatness of who God is of his power, of his grace, of his incredible love and his sacrificial nature. He consistently shows us the condition of our souls, helps us to see the depth of our own struggles, our own flaws, and our own shortcomings. And he consistently reminds us of the fact that he embraces us in the midst of his greatness and our brokenness and wants to lead us to something new. And that's the good news. He embraces us in the midst of his greatness and in the midst of our brokenness and wants to lead us into something new. When we lose sight of those things, when we become nearsighted and blind like what Peter said here, we miss out and others miss out on who God intended us to be. But when we choose to walk with Jesus, we get to be blown away by who he is and experience his grace in our lives. Peter goes on to say there in verses 10 and 11, he says this, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort, there's that phrase again, to confirm your calling and election, or make every effort to recognize that you've been called to be salt and light, to be an ambassador for Jesus, to live for him and to, to reflect his image to other people. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. After the verses that are in your outline, um, in the rest of the chapter there, uh, Peter goes on to remind his listeners that he was an eyewitness to the things that Jesus said and did. That he was one of Jesus' original disciples. That he saw these things that Jesus said and did firsthand. He says, I've been there. I've walked with him. I've walked beside him. I, I know him. You can trust me. And he says, I want you to know something. Jesus really does know who you are at your darkest places. He really does know who you are. He really does understand and see the condition of your soul. 
He really does know the shame that you carry, the guilt that you feel, the doubt that you possess. And here's what he says. He says, bring it to me. He says, bring it to me. He says, bring it to me because he wants to begin to transform us, not just someday, not just sometime down the road, but right now. And Peter says, I know what it's like to be ashamed. I know what it's like to be ashamed, Peter says, because in Jesus' most difficult hour, before he, was, before he ended up on the cross, on three different occasions, I looked other people in the face and said, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. Peter says, I know what it's like to feel ashamed of what you've done. But then he says, but guess what? Not long after that, not long after I did that shameful thing, Jesus sat down with me around a campfire and he displayed his grace and forgiveness to me in ways better than I ever could have imagined. And he invited me back into the life that he intended me, that he had always intended me to live, one where he's continually transforming my character as I walk with him. When you and I find ourselves at that place at the end of the day, and we recognize I'm a hot mess again, I feel like a bobblehead doll every day, all day. When we look, when we sit down and we ask questions of ourselves and we look at the depths of our soul and we don't like what we see, I want to remind you of what Peter is telling us, and it's this. You, in those moments, are in the perfect place to invite Jesus to begin to transform your character. You are in the perfect place to invite him to begin to transform you. You don't need to look out there somewhere to try to fill the emptiness or the void or the discontent that you sense in your soul. And my prayer is that all of us would learn new ways to take that step, that we would intentionally choose in those moments to to walk with Jesus once again, that we would do our part, put forth the effort to grow, and that we would be over and over again blown away by his incredible grace and that we would learn how to sing in tune together. Would you pray with me? Father, all of us uh, who are here this morning uh, come from all different places. Um, We have different struggles. Um, We face um, different challenges. Uh, We live in and among different circumstances. Um, And God, I just pray for each person here, um, no matter uh, where they come from or or what they're they're going through, um, that they... uh, would take a step this week, that I would take a step this week to walk with you. That that would be the direction that we head. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to love us at the core of who we are. And we confess our need for you today and ask that you would continue to transform us as we walk with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Lord, no tender 
voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. I need Thee every hour. Stay Thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when Thou. a great prayer <laughs> uh, to pray that, to recognize that we were created to need him. We were created to need him. We were created to walk with him. And as the worship team comes and leads us in these last couple songs, I want to invite you to do something we do every week at Daybreak, uh, and that's uh, to respond on these response cards. And on the back of your card, there's a few blank lines, and I want to just encourage you today, maybe you just want to write down a, a, a small way that you, that you felt like God was challenging you. You just felt challenged by him today. And maybe, maybe it's just something where you want to make a commitment. You say, I'm, this week, each day, I'm going to be intentional about in, walking with Jesus, that that's going to be a way that you respond. Or maybe... Uh, 
the, the whole effort part. Maybe you just felt lately, like, especially I know over the summer sometimes it just feels like I just don't feel like, maybe you just feel like that effort piece is something you need. You need some empowerment. You need some to, to, to be challenged and to be empowered by God to, to start to, to do your part in this character transformation. But whatever it is, however you, you've been challenged, I want to encourage you not to miss the opportunity to respond this morning.